0: Yes, hello and welcome back to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart and I'm Simon. And we talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Simon owns Bitelets and created Patma, a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights.
1: And Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover.
0: And quick request, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you've listened more than once, then please do leave us at the very least a rating You can also leave a review if you feel so inclined, but a rating will do. And please do share this podcast with anyone that you think will get value from it. Hopefully, there'll be at least one person in your network that would get value. That would really help us. So we'd appreciate that. Now, we're going to start this podcast with something that we sort of touched on two podcasts ago when we were talking about the five big risks you need to think about when scaling your property business. And it led me to a mini rant around the fact that a lot of people say that you need three to six months worth of costs saved to be, I guess, financially viable and to, to, to de-risk yourself. But before I head into my rant around that, Simon, how do you approach this in terms of having a, what many people call a buffer within your property business?
1: Very unscientifically. I certainly do not think what are my costs every month and now let's multiply those up by three or six and let's make sure that that, that amount of money is on standby. My, my approach really is, is much more sort of finger in the air. So I know that my my property portfolio is cash flow positive every month and I also know that I... Need a little bit of buffer in there for some of the annual expenses, things that so we have mentioned a couple of episodes ago. People can obviously go back and listen to, to more details on that. But it really is just sort of how much do I feel would be a reasonable buffer? And obviously, I know it's got to be more than the, the annual insurance renewal, for example. But I also sort of feel it should be probably in the region of a sort of a boiler replacement level with a little spare for for other bits and pieces here and there but but yeah that that that's all all the the, the level of thinking i've put into it really although just just on the the boiler repair sort of sideline or distraction i i was most put out by you you mentioning how much a boiler repair or boiler replacement should i say cost you recently do you want to just you share your, your boiler replacement figure from your recent uh, activity?
0: Yeah, boiler repair, boiler replacement for a, with a five year warranty was slightly over £1,700.
1: Okay, so the, the, this just sounds like a, a really small number to me. And when I was looking at replacing a, a boiler last, last, well, end of last year, beginning of this year, I was getting quotes in the sort of 2,500 to 3,000 range. And, and I was deliberately trying to go for a, a slightly more efficient boiler and a 10-year warranty and, and things like that to, to hopefully keep it as hassle-free for as long as possible. But even so, that's that's a, a big difference, thinking that it, it might be sort of £1,000 more.
0: Well, I'm a bit concerned that my plumber will hear this podcast and jack up his prices once you've said that
1: well can they though I mean it, do you, have you actually just found a really cheap plumber or is it just one of those regional differences because it's something that I I have mentioned numerous times on this podcast is that no matter where you invest replacing a boiler costs about the same because it costs about the same to actually buy the boiler wherever you are and, and that is sort of a a downside or a risk for investing in cheaper areas because yes the property is cheaper, but that means that the rent is also lower, and that means that the the sort of raw pounds that you have to to play with your profit or whatever is smaller and then when you're buying things like a boiler, which costs the same wherever you are supposedly, it means you you it takes a bigger percentage of your your rent your your profit or whatever but but am i wrong is it is it just that because my property is in the southeast i'm having to pay an extra 1000 pounds presumably just on labor costs could you go out and find another plumber in your area just as cheap
0: yeah i th- i think i think it is largely driven by labor costs and and I, and I think that because you know i have a flat in kingston and i have a flat in croydon and i know for a fact that if I get an electrician to one of those two places, he's going to co- he costs more, and we do we've done some very similar works both in London and in the Southwest, and I can tell you that the again I don't want to say it too loudly because I don't want my uh, great Southwest tradespeople to start adding greater margin to it, but the costs are there's a big differential there, and I mean obviously in terms of cost, I think the the, the big, great thing now is obviously as you've done, you you can go online, you can find the costs of boilers and things and actually do your own sums. I I think there's probably a difference as well in terms of the wholesale price that maybe tradespeople are able to get in certain regions of the country. And again, I've seen that in the north as well. So... You know the, the the wholesale price of a boiler might be slightly different in London and the southeast than it is in the southwest so i i think I think there will be a combination of things there that maybe just equate to that thousand pounds that you're paying so straight away i'm thinking how much
1: does it cost to ship a boiler from from up north in the country down to down south and could you actually Buy it from a trade counter up north, and would it would yeah, I don't know. Boilers are quite big and heavy, and and yeah,
0: but it is worth quite Expensive at. to ship around, and and I've quite seriously looked at getting one of my uh, tradespeople, so getting my local builder to come up to London to do some bits, and he's actually he's actually up for it. I think he he'd want a few nights away. He wants a few nights away from, from no, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, he he wants he'd like a couple of nights away. And even when I factored in the cost of providing him with accommodation, possibly in one of my, in my little flat, uh, that he'd still came out quite uh, competitively against uh, the London rates. But anyway, we've, we've digressed.
1: Well, I'm just sticking with the digression slightly. I, I, that can actually work. And, and I have a, a, a buy-to-let property in Brighton and my parents have property in Eastbourne. And hence they have tradespeople people that they use regularly in Eastbourne. And, and it has actually been financially advantageous to, to effectively pay the commute time of a tradesperson from Eastbourne to Brighton in terms of saving money over employing someone in Brighton who expects a higher rate. And that, they're both in the southeast. They're not very far away from each other. So yeah, it's, it's strange and confusing. So but anyway, you're right, we, we were getting distracted, or we have gotten distracted. We were supposed to be talking about financial buffers, and, and I, I explained how, how little thought I put into mine. So, how, how about yours, Stuart? Are, are you maintaining that ideal six month buffer?
0: Well, anyone who listened a couple of weeks ago will know absolutely not because I'm <laughs> forecasting this month to be in the red, which means we don't have any money in the bank. And just to sketch that out for people listening that are interested, you know, my fixed costs per month. Are around fifteen thousand pounds so that's that's not um that doesn't cover repairs and maintenance doesn't cover general expenses uh, you know uh, doesn't cover the energy costs so when I talk about fixed costs, i'm talking about the cost to landlords where we've got guaranteed rent agreements and mortgages, just so just that alone is fifteen thousand a month so then you know, if I thought about throwing everything else in, we're probably talking around twenty five thousand a month, so if I was to build a buffer of six months six months, that would cost me one hundred and fifty i 'd have to have one hundred and fifty thousand pounds sat in the bank and I can tell you now, if I had one hundred and fifty thousand pounds sat in the bank, well, for a start, my wife would be tugging my arm for a holiday, which we haven 't had for a while but it's just not feasible. So essentially for me, that, we just couldn't get to that stage. So I, I think in my mind, at least, I, I'd want to have at least one whole month. That's that's probably the target to say, actually, if everything went completely wrong, could the business survive for one month while I sort things out? Now, it would be brilliant to get to three. That, that could be a long-term target, but for me, the six months just, just won't work. And I'd be happy to get any feedback from any business owners or any property businesses out there that can talk to me about how achievable six months is or not. And and feel free to tweet us at B-I-Z of property if if you do have any comments on that. So quite simply, for me, it's not feasible. We're looking at, based on the cash flow forecast at the moment, I'm looking at having maybe a month's worth of fixed costs in the bank by the end of this year. And to be honest, that will just help me sleep. I mean, I sleep fairly easy, but it'll help me sleep fairly easy you know once that happens because at least i'll know okay we're, we're in a good spot but uh, yeah that 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 forced the mini rant from me which was just I, I just don't know how we could get to six months given what we'd need
1: exactly i mean as a business scales that the numbers involved just get so big that as you say it, it becomes maybe impractical is the wrong word but not a good use of funds <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you're if you've got a small business and your your expenses are five hundred pounds a month, then to have, I don't know, three know, thousand pounds in the bank, that that doesn't sound horrendous. Just because it's it, it's three thousand pounds, if you were to try and put it into a uh, a savings account, or whatever, the the interest you'd get on it would be would be fairly small. So it's it's not a sort of big cost having that money sat around in a a business bank account which doesn't doesn't typically pay any interest however when you get up into the tens of thousands or over a hundred thousand as, as your business might need to hold six months worth of, of expenses i mean that is now a, a big opportunity cost for holding that money and it's, it's just simply not sensible to do i don't think mm. and yes you you're guarding against perhaps, in fact, I don't know what you're guarding against, that could possibly create zero income for your business for six months. I mean, it's it, it's just not practically imaginable that that would be the case. So I, I don't think it's sensible to, to need to guard against that scenario.
0: It's a really good point around the opportunity cost though, because again, I think, well, actually, if, even if we got to three months worth, where I'd have let's just say for the sake of argument, £50,000 in the business account. The first thing I immediately think about is I'd love to go around to a couple of the properties and just give them all a bit of a touch up, freshen up, make them even more appealing. So the first thing I'd want to do with a bit of cash is actually make the properties more appealing. So I'm taking away some cost that mitigates risk, but actually increases probability of Occupancy rates and everything else. So that's that's the flip side of that coin. And I don't think either of us disagrees with the fact that we should have a buffer that there should be money in the bank. But then equally, the, the second part of that is, if I were to think about getting to a hundred thousand pounds, surely, well, no. For me, I would want to be looking at another a another property, particularly in the market that we're you know about to enter now. I'd be wanting to to grow, and that clearly is the anti antithesis of building a buffer i'm actually growing a business and creating more risk but that is my mindset so that yep. is quite quite an interesting proposition
1: exactly just having the money sat around is effectively having that money being wasted but uh, yeah i mean as you say there's so many things you could do with it you could you could invest in improved insulation and energy efficiency you could put solar panels on properties you could invest in heat pumps. You, you could actually reduce your own ongoing costs with that money. So that, that, that could be sensible if it's too small to actually purchase another property. But then as you say, as it gets bigger and bigger, then of course it gets into the realms of being able to, to buy a property with it. And, and then that seems really wasteful not to do that. But yeah, it's, it's um, yes, difficult to balance out The the sort of risk versus waste in this case.
0: For us, it seems like, and certainly for me. But you know, if if I had one month, I'd be happy. So, based on the size of the business, I think one month of hard cost to cover mortgages and landlord payments would give me a level of comfort which I haven't hitherto experienced in the last seven years. For the smaller portfolio, for the for the buy to lets, for me personally, again between one and three would be ample enough for me to to feel very confident and again i think for everyone you just need to look at the history of those properties if you've had them for for more than a year whatever that number is you can you can analyze that can't you and say you know so for my flat in uh, kingston for example touchwood that hasn't ever been void you know when it's been void it's just been really where we've just been too slow to to advertise and fill it. So I would argue that, you know, over time, that's 95% full. The flip that hasn't flipped has stayed fully occupied since we've, we've not flipped it. So, okay, so I could build one to three months mortgage cover, but I know really that that's probably excessive given our experience with it and thinking that it is highly rentable. So I think, you know, in summary, what we're saying is, you know, look at your own experience look at your own properties and just think what makes sense i mean that makes sense for us but if you've got a property that that's caused you a few problems and i've got a couple of those in the portfolio one where you know a boiler needs replacing then the roof needs repairing then you, then you've had some good sort of guidance to say maybe you should have a good buffer uh, against that so you know we can't say one size fits all but you can make some educated guesses in this area indeed
1: indeed i think the The overriding conclusion is you should definitely have a buffer, but we don't really know how big it should be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Big enough for you, for you individually.
1: Indeed. So we've we've got a few minutes left. And and at the risk of blowing that budget excessively, I thought I might just mention concrete to you, Stuart. Why am I mentioning concrete to you?
0: (laughs) I don't bloody know. And I don't know why it's been mentioned to me by a bank. So... The reason Simon's raising this is because I got a text from a friendly broker the other day on a property that we have been trying to remortgage now. And it's been in the process of financing for, I'm going to say, three months at the time of recording. And the bank has been asking some spurious questions at best, all of which we've been trying to answer. The, the bank challenged that the flat became a flat in 1984 and for some reason the surveyor said that it had been converted in 2018. I showed them photos that clearly depicted the kitchen when I bought it a few years ago which was from the mid-80s. Anyway we've, we've jumped those hurdles. The last text I've had now is that they want to know what type of concrete was used in the creation of the building.
1: And, and you're, you're a building uh, expert, aren't you? So you, I'm sure you know exactly how to answer this.
0: <laughs> I did. I did. I gave them the typical building acronym, which was WTAF. And I'm not going to explain that really for anyone. But that was my actual response to the broker because I didn't know how else to respond to it. And as of this recording, I still haven't dealt with it because I just I've, I've now literally got my head in my hands thinking, uh, you know, I just don't know where to go.
1: What are they expecting you to do? Are they expecting you to go and find the original architect and builder or or maybe consult a, a structural engineer? I mean, I I don't even know what sort of category of potential answer there is to provide here. I mean, <laughs>
0: the the very unhelpful thing that they said on the on the actual comment was maybe the owner could review the initial conveyancing documentation to find out what it was so that is what i shall do because i am refinancing the property but uh yeah it's not a question i ever thought i'd experience it's not a question the broker has ever seen and i'm not sure it's a question i'll ever see again but you know there's there's surveyors out there and when they have their own brain farts guess who has to waft them
1: just um out of curiosity what what type of building is this that we're, we're talking about
0: It's a mixed use building. It's um, office and residential. It's a mirrored building uh, in London. So yeah, that's the type of building it is. I I genuinely believe now that the, the surveyor is just creating issues to delay the refinancing of this property. The reasons of which shall be clear only to that surveyor. And As Simon's decided to finish me on a rant, I now need to walk away from the podcast and go and get some fresh air and have a walk around the block just to calm down. If this podcast has been of any use to you, please do leave us a rating or review on your podcast player of choice. And other than that, we'll see you next week.